0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Strength Connection. I'm Michael Kirkowski. I'm here to connect you with the top minds in the world of strength to share stories, insights, and experiences to help you become stronger every day. So Today, I have a very special guest. I have Craig Marker on the show. He is a former elite instructor through Strong First and a professor of research methods with strength and conditioning uh, down south. And He's one of my favorite people to talk to, one of the most humble guys and one of the strongest guys that I've ever met. I've had the privilege of chatting with uh, Craig numerous times on the podcast as well as working with him in workshops before and he just always comes with some of the most insightful uh, work that he's doing and today we talked specifically about fission versus fusion and the protocols that they do essentially what is fission training what is fusion to really get deep into the science behind strength and conditioning what's exactly going in on in our body uh, when we train in specific modalities and how Craig has used that to not only stay super strong, but keep his strength going into a milestone birthday coming up at 50, where we also went over some uh, deep goals that he has of maintaining his strength throughout uh, his entire life. So again, Craig is one of the smartest guys that I talked to specifically with the science and the research behind all this stuff that we do with strength. And it is always a blast to have him on uh, to talk shop on this. So, so without further ado, we'll get on with the show. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and I'll catch you on the inside. Marker, how are you, my friend? It's great to see you.
1: It is great to be back. Yeah. Uh, it's always always good to talk with you.
0: I would say you are hands down always the best dressed podcast guest I ever have <laughs> on the <this> show.
1: <laughs> it just ends up where I have a meeting before we meet and just got to wear a tie. So,
0: I just, no worries. I, I, no, I... <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna pretend that you dressed up for this. So no. I, I, I shouldn't have said that.
1: Yeah, can you delete that out? I came with a tie out of respect for you, actually. So.
0: Exactly. No, I'm just playing. No, I appreciate your time. Um, you know, it's always great to talk to you, and I'm excited about. We got some specific topics that we're gonna dive into here. You know, for it. So, uh, listeners, if you haven't heard it all before, uh, I'm with Craig Marker. I've known Craig for a while now, going back to um, his time with Strong First, and uh, he's a professor. And we went into some deep uh, work that we've, uh, went through the last couple episodes on different protocols, uh, different, really kind of diving into the details and the science behind strength and conditioning specifically with fission and fusion, which is a super fascinating topic. I'm really excited to kind of dive in again, but if you want to go back and listen to those, please go do so. Uh, but we're going to kind of get a little bit into it right off the bat here, you know, for everybody. So, Craig, yeah, I guess to kick off, um, actually, if you could just quickly kind of reintroduce yourself, you know, kind of what you do, um, you know, with your day-to-day, and then we'll get into some of the work that you've really done with the fission and fusion protocols for yourself, as well as what you've seen in your research.
1: Yeah, so day-to-day, I'm a professor. I get to work with um, outstanding faculty, students, and I I teach research methods and statistics. So, um, I think that uh, most people would uh, shy away from those topics, but I just loved it. I loved learning about um, as much as I could in different areas. And to, I just remember going through my uh, bachelor's degree and just wanting to read the nutrition literature and reading the you know sports uh, sciences and, and those type of things. And um, I teach in health sciences programs, so I get to touch upon a lot of different areas and learn a lot of different uh, research areas. So it's just fun for me, and I love reading research articles. Um, I love getting into it. Um, I think if I just read the headlines or the abstract, I get a, a you know a picture that um, it's not a full picture. So I like to read the whole article, you know, and, and kind of get it. Each one is a piece of the puzzle for me, and I kind of pull it together. And like, okay, I'll put that to the side. Maybe that's something useful to take sometime. Let's see what else I find on this this, this different topic. So I love experimenting. So self experimentation yeah. is is my my. Yeah fun area. So the,
0: the sentence, I love reading research papers is so <laughs> slightly oxymoronic for most of us in there. So I'm so happy there's people like you that really enjoy doing it, because that's where you really get down into exactly what's going on with all this stuff that we're trying to try to understand specifically with the phys- with the human body and the work with nutrition, which can get so just complicated and just so confusing in so many ways. So to be able to die, you know, dissect those you know, papers down into actually knowing what's going on. Uh, appreciate you so much, right off that. So,
1: oh, and 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 I guess it's it's like a mystery novel to me in a way. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my main areas was individual differences, and you know, looking at uh, I'll try to describe this sort of picture, but you know, I was looking at interventions and. Um, and if you look at all the trajectories of change, you know some people are going up really high. Some people are going, uh, getting better um, in slighter, you know, still getting better, but not as much. And then some people were not getting as as doing as well in this intervention. And the average shows that this intervention works, but then there are all these individual differences for some this intervention didn't work. And I was fascinated by what makes an intervention work really well for some people and what makes an intervention not work so well for others. And I think with diets, I mean, the diet literature is just, it's just crazy on how many different diets and they all seem to work um, to some extent, but I think some diets might be optimal for me and some diets might be optimal for you. And it just depends. And it's that individual differences that are really interesting.
0: Is there anything, I know there's not one specific diet that really works, you know, for everybody, but is it, is there one reason you think why it could be so different from one person to another? Is it just because, you know, how we, you know, how we were born, obviously a 30 year old person, they've been through 30 years of different, you know, metabolic work every single day of going on. So is that really the thing that we need to understand going in specifically on the nutrition side. Cause it seems it seems to me like the strength and conditioning side is a little bit more cut and dry where you can kind of understand a little bit more, but diet depending on, cause I mean, with processed foods and stuff like sometimes we don't even know half of what the hell is actually in that stuff and what's going on there. So am I on the right track with that? Of like, it's just, it, everybody's just met metabolism and where they kind of, their, their foundation is different.
1: I think so. Yeah. And and to take it to the strength and conditioning literature, I think Dan John said something that any program will work um, for some amount of time. And it may not be the optimal program, but I think maybe that shift, whatever your shift is, um, like my mom's favorite diet. And I apologize, mom, for calling you out on this, but this was like a bacon and grapefruit diet. And every morning she'd have bacon and grapefruit. And it like they had some theory behind the acid and the grapefruit with the fat and the bacon would activate fat metabolism but it worked and i think it worked because it's just something radically different and mm-hmm. any sort of stress on the body changes the way the body responds to it and probably in a positive positive way so i think part of why they work is just that shift in changing something up and then our body's responding to the sort of the stressor of a new diet or new change but Um, you know, if I, like you said, with processed foods, and I think there are probably some good guidelines and, um, you know, if I recommend it, like there's somebody who did the, um, croissant diet and I don't know if you've heard of that, but the idea was, um, he was saying butter is a much better fat than processed oils and it worked really well for him. And, you know, um, you know, again, I think it was just a big change in his life and all he ate was croissants and I, like you know, we right. could probably prescribe that, but I think they're probably much better guidelines than, yeah. than something like I just gave, but
0: it, it, it's funny. I think one of the first guys I remember talking about intermittent fasting, you know, because I did intermittent fasting for a long time. And I think it's a very good thing, but where most people see that initial result from intermittent fasting, it's because you're not eating as much. So mm-hmm. it's actually, it's, you're just, you're getting into, it's a way to get into a calorie deficit. So it's all good. You can go on a million different paths to get there, but you're still going to the same parking lot eventually to get there, you know, from exactly. there. So with yep. the with the research that you've seen specifically with nutrition and strength, is there a certain timeframe that you usually like to see like this? Like, is there a, like with case studies? Is it because I know a lot of people are, oh, I've, I've I feel great after this, but it's only been a month. Like, mm-hmm. is it do you look like a year out? Do you look six months? Or is it longer than that? Or?
1: Um, I mean, ideally it'd be nice if research looked at that a <clears throat> bit more. And, you know, I think the further out we get with research, they're looking more correlational and, you know, asking people, you know, what did you eat rather than the randomized control type trial? I think randomized control trials, just because of attrition, you just start losing people. They do, you know, a month or six week type uh, studies. So it's really hard to, you know, control for something for months on end. And that's a, gets to be very expensive to keep all the people in that study. I mean, in ideal world, it would be nice to look at long-term effects of diets and, and we don't do enough of that. I'm sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Is there anything specific that you're doing a lot of research on right now?
1: Um, it, sort of personal type things like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you mentioned the fission and fusion type yeah. of protocols and those type of things. Like that's what I'm kind of testing on, on myself right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know i not not any sort of particular c- controlled study or anything along those lines
0: okay well, let's dive into the fission and fusion a little bit more. Um, you know, the first time that you brought this up to me uh, when we were on the Breakthrough Secrets podcast, it was—it's fascinating. Um, it's just—it's very interesting the breakdown of it, and um, but still, it's—it's it's very deep. It can go over your head a lot from there. So, if you could explain a little bit for us, like what is fission versus fusion, you know, protocol? What does it look like? And then we'll kind of dive into some of the programming of it.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it any better. I might make it worse. But, Maybe it's um, like the
0: third time I hear it, it'll finally get into my head.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons like you mentioned intermittent fasting and, you know, one of the reasons that that diet is thought to work is that fast period that we have, what we're doing is allowing the body um, to get into a state of energy deprivation that triggers signals, um, telling your body, "Hey, we're running out of energy. Let's mobilize fat stores and those type of things." But then also to kind of it gives a chance to repair and clean up. If we're eating all the time, we don't have you know we're we're storing and we're utilizing the fuel, but we don't have as much time to clean up and restore. So fasting is really good at helping those those cleanup processes and autophagy, you know, cleaning up cells that are kind of mucking up the system that don't, you know, have good mitochondria, or I'm sorry, that don't have good DNA or have DNA damage, we can get rid of that. So, you know, some of the, um, you know, theories with dementia and uh, different uh, aging type of things like um, there's a lot of research on senolytics right now, which are basically getting rid of bad brain cells. And, you know, if, and if the theory behind that is if we can clean up the, the cells that are not good, those cells, well, the cells that are not so great um, are, are, you know, not living and also causing damage. Um, through toxicity of of the cells around them. And that's what's leading to broader, you know, dementia and broader issues in the brain. So senolytics are helping clean up that process. So there are a lot of senolytics that are being worked on and, you know, helping, um, you know, the idea of as we age, getting rid of those those cells in the brain that we don't need that are, are defective. Um, same thing goes with the body, you know, when we think of our, you know, cells, we want to have that cellular repair process. So we want to clean up those types of cells. So fasting is great at that. And um, you know, I, I think our 16, 18 hour fast is is good. Um, it starts that process. The more damage we have, the more we might have to do that. Um, but that's that set, that process of of cleaning up. Um, specifically that, that idea of mitochondria that are damaged or defective. And and I, I'm sure everybody understands this, so it's listening, mitochondria create um, ATP, our main energy source. Um, so if we're, our mitochondria are like a, a factory that's not very efficient, it's putting up, you know, a lot of um, reactive oxidative species that are, are um, you know, sort of um, can cause damage throughout the body. know, we don't want that type of mitochondria. We want, you know, the ones that are very efficient and running smoothly. So there's a process of mitochondria that they've, they've, they've go through fission and fusion. They basically break into smaller parts. Um, Some of the smaller parts will have defective components to it. And that, um, goes through a process of mitophagy or killing off those, those damaged parts. And then the healthy parts are, are small and inefficient, but if they fuse with other healthy parts, um, they become much more efficient mitochondria. So it's, it's almost, you know, if you've got a business, this is an analogy I'm coming off the top of my head, but if you've got a business, you get rid of some of the parts that aren't producing as well, um, you know, and sell them off. And then you, you know, merge with another business that's doing really, really well. You know, you've got a, a much more sustainable business or something along those lines. So mitochondria, they they f- go through fission, break off the bad parts. Those bad parts hopefully get eaten up and go through a normal process. And then they fuse with better um, more healthy mitochondria. So that process is going on all the time through our daily lives. What I'm trying to do with the fission fusion protocol is sort of exacerbate that process. So on fission days, things that trigger fission are, you know, things like fasting, um, that's causing, you know, that that cleanup process when we fast, um, NAD supplements are, are really popular right now. And that's, uh, NAD takes, um, the N-E- electron and NAD and NAD. Yep. Yep. Uh, um, and they basically are like the cars that take electrons through the mitochondria. And if you gotcha. don't have enough, then you can have electrons getting free and kind of releasing and causing damage. Um, NAD is also responsible for activating, um, I'm sorry for all the terminology. I'm not really trying to, to give too much terminology, but just happens, um, activating sirtuins, which there are multiple sirtuins, but they basically are fixing things. So there's, they're fixing DNA, they're fixing, you know, different components of the mitochondrium. Um, and so like, if you have DNA damage, uh, six, um, is a big one right now they're looking at that might repair some of that, that DNA damage. So the NAD, is used, gosh, I'm going way off topic here, but the, I, I'll, I'll try to bring it all together again. Sure. But the, the NAD is used in the mitochondrion and it's the little cars that bring the electrons. It's also used in the, the repair process. So what we want to do is, you know, when we, we fast, we, you know, help that NAD, we create more of this, this uh, imbalance. Um, and you know, we're creating and we're repairing mitochondria DNA. Um, We're also uh, creating this fission process. So all of these things are really good when we fast. Um, The other things that bring about this is um, again, another term, AMPK, and this is an enzyme. And when we exercise, AMPK comes about. Um, So especially Mm -hmm. intense exercise where we, we basically drain the ATP as quickly as possible. Um, that triggers AMPK, which then triggers this again, this process of cleaning things up. So, one of the benefits of like high intensity type exercise is also the body says, maybe the simplest way to say it the body says, oh crap, we, we're using a lot of energy. We got to create more mitochondria and start uh, fizzing, uh, going through fission to create more mitochondria. So, AMPK also triggers that pathway. So, fasting, AMPK. There are some um supplements that are you know found through research that have been you know thought to kind of get it um help with the NAD, um also help with AMPK. So this is I, I don't want to go too deep into supplements, but like apigenin mm-hmm. um blocks an enzyme that breaks down NAD. Um and so Um, apigenin is found in maybe onions. Um, I I might be wrong on where it's found exactly, but you know, that, that's something that I play around with apigenin. Um, there's another, there's a a couple of other substances that have been found in research and other things that also are supposed to enhance this fission process. Gotcha. Okay. So, and let me try to wrap this vision. Sure, up. please um, mm-hmm. try to make it make a little more sense. If yeah. I, I'm sorry, I've it, it,
0: your- it. No, I think it does. It's 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 incredible. There's there's so many good things here. Uh That's so it's so interesting to know exactly what's going on in our body in every single you know second of the day.
1: Yep, yep. And I've ruined your podcast. I'm sure you've lost. It's just me and you now. So I can talk about whatever <laughs> I want. <laughs> whatever, and then no, then nobody else is paying attention anymore. But. <laughs> So on fission days, and this, I don't do this all the time, but I've been kind of diving deeper into this. I'll fast, um, and I'll try to fast a good amount of time before I exercise. So the day before I might stop eating at 2 PM and I'll fact, um, and then I'll exercise at 4 AM the next morning. So I've got a good 14 hours of fasting in, um, I'll do high intensity. Don't tell Pavel I'm doing high intensity intervals. It's, it's a little bit more like Pavel's, um, training where, um, a plus a, but I'm also doing it. Um, I'm just draining my ATP. So like I'm, I'm hitting a heavy bag, 15 seconds, as hard as I can until I'm almost losing power. I'm really having to struggle the last few seconds to keep my power. I'll rest 45 seconds, repeat it. Um, I'll do that eight rounds, then I'll go and do a rower 500 meters as hard as I can for, for two minutes. I'll cycle on to something else, like some swings for you know, 15 seconds on, 45 off. So I'm doing these sort of high-intensity intervals, just draining my ATP, hopefully triggering AMPK. I don't really know what's going on in my body, but that's what I think is going on, to cause as much fission as possible. Um, so I have a fast, I do high intensity sort of interval workout. It's, it's repeats. I'm not trying to, um, be so fatigued that I'm losing power. Every, every set I'm doing, I'm trying to keep as much power. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from there, um, I'll either try to fast a few more hours because now I've activated the system. I don't want to shut it off right away. Yep. Um, or, and this is where it gets a little weird, but I'll sometimes do a fat fast and um, when we take in fats in our body, um, our PPAR alpha, which is just, uh, again, I, I'm sorry to bring up all these terms. Um, when this is activated, it's causing a lot of these, triggering a lot of these things. So when we're fasting, we have PPAR alpha. I can keep this active when I eat fats only. If I bring in protein and bring in carbs, I'll kind of throw this process off. But I can eat fats for the day. Um, and keep in fission. So I, again, we'll try to, to just eat fats for the day and then I'll go home and eat like t- two o'clock. So I've kind of done a 24 hour fast, but yeah. I've been eating fat for a little bit of the, a little bit of that time. The last, why do protein,
0: five. why does protein and carbs? Uh, why does that matter on that? What is, what is within those that kind of puts you out of fission?
1: Yeah. So, um, basically if you, if you, and I'll get into the fusion. What mm-hmm. we do when we take in protein and carbs is we activate another pathway with the mTOR. And mm-hmm. when mTOR is activated, AMPK is inhibited. So these things kind of go together. Um, if we have high AMPK activation, mTOR is down. When we have high mTOR, AMPK is down. So I don't want to activate mTOR and protein will um, activate mTOR. So that's why I stay away from protein. Gotcha.
0: So the so the fission piece, essentially, because the the word you used a lot, there was the cleanup, you know, is really kind of taking out all of the the shit that we don't need in our body, which is actually really fascinating thing. So that piece is really it's not about adding anything really to us. It's about just eliminating everything that's just kind of nasty and just kind of, you know, plugging us up, you know, in our in our health and just clearing that out on a regular basis of getting Ex- in so
1: exactly and, yep.
0: yeah and the power and the power develop and the uh, not losing power is very interesting, you know, especially if anybody listening who's a coach should go check out strong endurance with uh, with Pavel he explains a lot of the chemistry behind all of the ATP and which was really fascinating to understand the different energy sources which you're really tapping into here on Craigs the one you said the the sen- the senoly the senolytics with the brain uh, mm-hmm. were and it's and so we have just like unused or just kind of unhealthy brain cells that are in there. And those are used to just clean those, those out when you really, when you really feel the effect when you're doing this, right. Do you feel like, is it a difference in your energy? Is it a difference in your mental clarity? Like, is there specific things that you felt in in response to having this on point?
1: Um, So I I think there's different stages and Mm -hmm. I I think you bring up an important point. If you're 25 years old, um, Ignore everything I'm saying, like because you're you're not really gonna have that much damage. You're not gonna have those, you know, that the mitochondria damage and and things, you know, as people age. Right. You know, if you're somebody who's um, you know, older and as you approach your 50s, 60s, 70s, like you're gonna have more and more of this damage. And especially the brain cells, like you're going to have more reason to have senolytics and to kind of, you know, more uh, damaged cells. So I think it kind of is, it's related to age as well. So um, I don't know if I necessarily feel anything. I think when I first started the process, I started to feel like my endurance, like increased greatly. And I think like I just made my mitochondria much more efficient and after I cleaned out um, the damage, like it just like my endurance was great all the time. It felt like, and, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't not set, definitely, of course my training's helping with that, but I'm, I'm thinking that process behind it was my mitochondria didn't have the damaged ones, didn't have the inefficient ones. And, you know, maybe it's a car that's, Um, you know, an older car that's smoking and, you know, it's got, you know, burning oil and things like that versus, you know, a much more efficient fuel efficient car now that's, you know, burning much cleaner. Mm -hmm. My mitochondria feel like they're burning cleaner. And I maybe I don't need to do it as much as I used to or or those type of things. But, you know, I think, I think that, you know, it's kind of related to, you know, again, the wear and tear and Mm -hmm. age of your body that, you know, you might need to do it more or less, and you'll feel more effects. Gotcha.
0: I think the car analogy is interesting because it's, it's kind of like if you do this, you might not feel the difference in performance, like when you step on the gas, but it's the insurance behind it of you're working with a clean system. So it's almost like if it's, you know, helping you down the line, you know, with it, you're not going to feel the immediate effects of like changing your program up, but it's really the insurance that you're putting in deposit in every single day. That's mm-hmm. why you do this type of protocol. Yeah. With the, with the, with the fats and you're just adding eating some fat, what are you eating? That's just straight fat.
1: (laughs) So I think the, the, the most palatable way is like some, some green tea with olive oil in it. And maybe that's not, maybe that Uh, doesn't sound palatable. My my
0: Italian genes are coming out right here. (laughs) I can roll that. (laughs) Yeah. I've
1: got, I've got olive oil right under the desk and like I can just pour some olive oil and some hot tea and you know, it's, it's palatable. Fats have a lot of uh, calories. So it's, you know, it's, 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 a um, you know, I'll talk about what to stay away from sure. um, when I get to fusion, but like, yeah, I think olive oil is something I use quite a bit. I'll use a little bit of like, um, C8 MCT oil, not full MCT, but like when it's kind of yeah. the C8 coke, carbon coconut oil at all or. Yeah. I, um, I, so coconut oil is pretty broad spectrum in the type of fats. So, Like the MCTs, like there's C eight, C ten, C twelve, and I'll kind of go towards the C eight, which in research has been shown to be more effective at you know getting turned into ketones Mm -hmm. and things along those lines. So I'll just kind of like there's some straight C eight type of MCT oils that I'll kind Mm -hmm. of stick with. But gotcha. Have you
0: done just staying on the Fission for a little bit more, and your your training, you're doing your training at the end of the fast from there, which I've I do a lot of times as well. I've just. I just feel really good doing that. And I know it's effective. Have you tried with different times of working out within that fast before? Or has that just seemed like your go-to?
1: It just kind of worked out timing wise (laughs) Um, in mornings is a good time for those type of of training. So I really haven't adjusted it much, but I do, like you said, I feel pretty good. Um, I don't, it doesn't feel like I need, you know, you know, maybe if I'm going to do like a marathon or something like that, I would need more food, but like it feels like those type of intervals that I'm doing, um, where I'm trying to maintain power. I, I feel pretty, I feel really good actually with the fast being on the fast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I just subconsciously have kind of done very similar to you where, I mean, usually last meal is five or six, you know, at night. And then I'm usually training about seven o'clock, seven thirty in the morning from there without even really thinking about it. But, um, you know, a fasted training, if, if people haven't utilized it before, I mean, sometimes it could take a little bit getting used to, you might not feel the energy jolt right off the bat. Um, but especially if you're an early morning person where it's not easy to get that meal in beforehand, you don't want like a bunch of breakfast sitting in your stomach. Uh, I think it's, I think it's something that everybody should, should work with. So I think this is an interesting protocol.
1: And I'm forgetting the person, but um, I wish I could reference him, but he does like continuous um, glucose measurement and um, insulin measurement. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he looked at like 12 hours is that like window where all of a sudden, you know, insulin is just gone. And like, I, I wonder, like, if I did try to train a few hours after eating, I bet I probably wouldn't be as efficient, because I've got the insulin, my body would probably get hungry faster. Um, like this, I can utilize my fats and, you know, have, you know, that as my fuel source. So.
0: Interesting. Okay, I don't know if I'm going to be throwing olive oil in yet in my yeah. tea in the morning, but it does seem very interesting. So okay, now that's the, the one side of the coin. And then fusion is the other side. So what is fusion kind of how does that work in with it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if, if I did that every day, like um, I I just, if you don't help build the the mitochondria back up, you know, you'd be, you know, like, just like we didn't do, wouldn't do a fast uh, forever and ever. We want to have our days where we're, you know, kind of allowing our body to build back up. So on other days, I'll do what I, what I call fusion days, but I'll do more strength training. Um, I'll, I'm using this term kind of tongue in cheek pamper my body. Like I'll eat afterwards. I'll have a good amount of protein after I'll have like branch chain amino acids, like with especially leucine and leucine triggers mTOR. And again, mTOR is sort of the opposite of AMPK. And so what that's doing um, is, you know, kind of creating a growth environment for a body. Um, if we're always in a growth environment, uh, mTOR has been associated with cancer and, you know, um, uh, you know, too much mTOR, if we're always in that growth phase, it can be damaging to our body too. But if I can vary it, you know, and have mTOR days and AMPK days, like that's, you know, really useful. So I'll try to do that. And then something else that's been really, that's been found in the literature on fusion is a steric acid, which is a carbon 18 type chain it's found in cocoa butter. So dark chocolate on my fusion days is great. Um, so, you know, oh, okay. I, I, that's uh, helping your mitochondria to, uh, fuse together, um, bringing all the good mitochondria together and creating super mitochondria. So chocolate is good for you on your, your fusion days. You
0: heard it here, folks <laughs> go, go after it. Yep. Yep. So, <laughs> okay. um,
1: but yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Like I, you know, and I, I talk about pampering my body, but yeah, you want to get a lot of protein. Um, almost like a bodybuilder type of day, you know, where you're, making sure I get my branch chain amino acids mm-hmm. and those type of things. I just don't want to do that every day. Kind of, I kind of want to have those days where I, you know, challenge and fast and then other days where I'm eating and mm-hmm. um, growing. So, okay.
0: So when on your days of fission, when you're doing your, your high intensity based work and stuff, you're not eating right afterwards. You still have a few hours before you really get a meal in, right?
1: Yep. Yep. And yeah, the fat fasting is kind of like an extreme thing I've added recently, mm-hmm. but you know, otherwise I'd wait probably three, four hours before I any, anyways, um, for that mm-hmm. for that day, so um, I'd fast a few okay. more hours. So, okay,
0: yeah, that's always an interesting thing with meal timing because for the longest time, especially when I was early in the business, it was like you need to get protein in like 20 minutes afterwards, like get that chick. And now, like just from going through different protocols and talking to a, you know a lot of different experts, it's like that's not total bullshit, but it's like kind of half bullshit in there where it's like as long as you're getting really your numbers by the end of the day of working in and hitting your bottom line, the meal timing around that really isn't that vital. It isn't that important. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was a great thing of like people trying to sell shakes after people are getting out (laughs) of a a workout, you know, to get in there. But that's, I think that's, that's an interesting um, thing that was around for so long. That seems like it's starting to slowly get debunked over time.
1: Yep. One of my, my favorite quotes, uh, Pavel has so many quotes that I I could probably use, but um, he talked about, you know, the, he talked about water bottles in the gym, but he, um, I, I think it could relate to protein shakes in the gym too. But you're not a baby. You don't need your bottle in the gym. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: that sounds like Pavel. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah well, because he used to, he said for a while, like about not drinking water during training, like you don't need to drink water, you know, yeah. with it. And it's like, you know, you might be a little thirsty on it, but like you actually did maybe you know this better because my, my brain is foggy and strong endurance, but actually by drinking too much water during a strength workout, you're actually diminishing what you're trying to actually do, you know, to get into your muscles.
1: That sounds, I remember that. I don't remember exact mechanism, but yeah, yep. I think so. Gotcha. Yep.
0: Okay. Yep. So what's the, what's the breakdown of this? Like how many days are you doing more fission training? How many are you doing fusion?
1: I, I'm kind of to the, phase where I do like every other day so I'll do a fission fusion Um, weekends I'll kind of you know kind of just figure out whatever I want to do on weekends but the Monday one Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday I'm doing fission fusion days Um, I've tried it like you know like two three days I've tried even like a week of like maybe even one of the maybe even the last podcast I was trying to do like two weeks of fission type of training and not fasting for two weeks straight, but like, you know, like more fission type training, um, and then fusion type training for another two weeks. But I found just every other day seems to be the best protocol. I don't think the week worked that well for me on, on each of them. So I I think daily, um, throwing them back and forth works well for me.
0: So like a it's like a 50, 50 split pretty much. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. So you said like you're doing with the fission days, you're doing like the, like the heavy bag, like going all out 15 second type work. Are you adding anything in? Are you doing things like swings or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So, yep. Um, so I'll usually, st- um, start with some jump rope, um, okay. Just because I like I, I paid a lot of attention to my heart rate on uh, the heart rate monitoring, um, and I find that if I do that first, gets the heart rate up a little bit. Then when I hit the heavy bag, like I'll go kind of above my you know threshold, and then you know 45 seconds is enough to go below it again. 15 um, seconds all out, and so I'll have a nice. I'll be right above the threshold. If I don't do the jump rope beforehand. Um, it takes like two rounds before I give, you know, get above that threshold and that nice pattern. So that's why I do jump rope beforehand. Once I've got that heart rate up, then I'll just switch right from eight rounds of heavy bag. I'll then switch to, um, swings or go do the rower. Um, Mm -hmm. kind of rotate some different things in the bike. I hate the bike, but I'll sometimes do that. But, um, you know, and I try to just, again, keep the power up on, on all the different activities, but. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. I, I'm jump rope is like my absolute, f- honestly, for body composition, I tell everybody like add in jump rope and just do that for getting some activity in. And that's going to be huge right there. And then, and then your strength, your fusion days, it's kind of, are you doing just typical kind of push, pull kind of hinge, like carries that type of stuff?
1: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Kind of the four the four movements, uh, kind of an easy strength type protocol mm-hmm. where I'm trying to, it's hitting everything almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of play around with what I'm more focused on, you know sometimes I'm more focused on you know like um, you know we'll talk maybe later about different goals and you know kind of programming and, and things, mm-hmm. but um you know if I'm more focused on you know deadlifts, I'll kind of create the deadlift program within there and you know f- focus less on other things, but yeah, exactly uh, uh, every okay. body part, um, everyday type thing that I try okay right.
0: so I'm going to segue into this. I know we're going to do this more towards the end, but you've got a pretty big milestone birthday coming up. So this is going to be the big.
1: I do. Yes. Yeah. Um, Every time I turn, like I I was trying to do five year intervals, but you know, Mm -hmm. especially the big 10 year intervals, I try to, to do these things. And these are just challenges that, um, I've come up with yeah. over the years. So, wait, so for,
0: wait, first off, how old are you going to be?
1: <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to <laughs> flow right past that. You, you caught me on that. I'm going to be 50. So, yep.
0: Well, we. I feel like we're the same age. So I don't know if that speaks to I look a little older. I'm going to say that you look really young because I feel you know pretty young at my age. So that's amazing, man. You absolutely you you do not look like a 50 year old man. I will just tell you that.
1: So I, I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. it. So okay. yeah. and you got some
0: big. You got some big goals, some big milestones that you're trying to hit on this, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I've been trying to hit a lot of these milestones, like every big, um, you know, big birthday year. So, um, like one of them's 25 pull-ups and years ago, Pavel wrote in muscle media and, you know, he talked about one of the, I think as the Marines have a, a 25 pull-up type test mm-hmm. and, um, I actually try to keep this one in my arsenal all the time. Um, If you go to like fairs and you see like the, you know, recruiters will be there and sometimes I'll have like the Marines and um, I kind of love doing this one, but they'll like give you a free t-shirt if you can do 25 pull-ups. So I always try to be just like ready to do 25 pull-ups at any point in time. So that one's um, I've actually just did that one last week just to test it. Um, And so I usually have that in my repertoire And again, I'm pulling from things that are probably my strengths, like pull-ups are like something I'm feel like it's one of my relative strengths. Okay. Um, The other thing is like, so like the beast tamer, um, you put a 48 kilogram kettlebell and strap it uh, to your waist and then you do a pull-up with it. Um, I've done... I think 68 before. So I'm, I'm just milestone. I said it at 56 kilograms that I'm going to strap. I I was going to try to do a two times body weight pull up. Um, but my elbows just can't handle it. (sighs) So, um, I, I, I I've tried to approach that goal a few times to two times, but it's, it's a bit, bit much. Um, but the other things are kind of like, at strong first events, they usually have the the benchmarks. Yep. Um, so pressing a kettlebell, that's half your body weight mm-hmm. with one arm. Um, so trying to do that with both my arms, that, that one, um, I've tested not too long ago and could probably do that. Mm-hmm. Um, two, 2.5 times deadlift. Um, I'll try to do that. Um, so some other ones that are a little outside of like strength. Um, I try to dunk a basketball. Like I, when i was young i couldn't do it so i think it was maybe when i turned 30 was the first time i could dunk a basketball so um okay. i tried to do that and that's that's very specialized training i feel like swings are swings get me much of the way there okay. but um you know a lot of one legged uh like uh single leg deadlifts single leg um lunges And a lot of explosive plyometric stuff is what I need to really do my dunk training. So, um, I try to do that. I think we talked about that before you, you can do it, right?
0: (laughs) I wish. No, I've, I've done it, uh, before once in high school with a, uh, like a Nerf ball. Um, I believe Chris did it with a volleyball, you know, before. So have you, have you done any work, um, or seen much of the stuff with Ben Patrick? at all with the athletic truth group. Do you know about him?
1: No, 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 I haven't.
0: Oh, Ben Patrick's fan. He saw uh, this hashtags, the knees over toes guy.
1: Oh, I do. Okay. Then I, I was wondering, I was going to ask that. Yep. Yep. I have seen a little bit about him, but
0: yeah, when uh, we, I spoke to Keegan a while ago, his partner uh, from Australia, who is one of the pioneers of this program of really building resilience and athleticism. And the stuff that Ben is doing is really fascinating. Um, You know, and like everybody, like anything new that's coming out, there's some hate and shade that's trying to get thrown at him, but Mm -hmm. the results that he's getting, you know, from people specifically with the, the stuff of walking backwards, using a sled, walking backwards for the cartilage repair in your knee of just walking backwards um, ten days, and then even just the body weight stuff, like his zero program of doing the, he calls it the KOT squat, which is the knees over toes. So it's like a deep lunge of going over and really building your anterior tips and getting in um, because he had like seven knee surgeries before and went from not being able to walk to playing division one basketball. And he was doing all these exercises with there. So that might, that would be, you would be really, I think, fascinated by some of the stuff you could dive into with him.
1: I have to check, I have to check that out more. I, the Nordic hamstring curls. Like I saw something that he did with that. I just I integrated those and I, I love that. So that's yeah. The,
0: the, just the knees are so interesting, right? Because it's such a scapegoat into the body. Like, you know, I had a tight ankle on one side and if I don't, you know, stretch it out, I feel it in my knee, you know, it's the same Mm -hmm. with the hips and stuff. So by building kind of the, like the rock solid armor around your knees is what he's doing. And, um, you know, there's a million people that say, don't bring your knees over your toes or else you're a bad person and you're going to die. It's like, no, it's not really the case from there. And in this (laughs) protocol, that's uh, for the springiness of especially the anterior tib and stuff is for specifically getting off the ground, you know, slamming a ball home and stuff like that. I think that might be possibly in your repertoire.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So, okay. Are you planning on doing like all these, like in a, like, do you want to do this like a special event day or you just kind of want to check these off over a period of time?
1: I was trying to check them off in like a six-month type window. Yeah. I, 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 it'd be interesting and really interesting to try. I've thought about this, you know, trying them all. And, you know, I don't know how much rest in between them. But if, if I could do them all in one day, that would – I would be really mm-hmm. excited. So maybe I'll try to give it – but I, I know like – You know the pull-ups,
0: yeah. That's a lot of CNS work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the the pull-ups worked well when I was you know a little bit you know a few pounds less. The deadlifts Mm -hmm. I tend to gain a little bit more, so it'd be tough to kind of balance that and get it all in one day. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah,
0: okay, yeah. It's uh, it's well. That's one of the things I always said I loved about the Strong First methods is kind of having those standards and setting it up, like being able to have a half body weight military press. You know, on one side, if you can do both sides, even better. You know, from there, but at least holding that standard level of strength. So I think this is, you know, I think this is awesome. Anybody who's has a milestone of coming up on this, I think that's a phenomenal checklist to, to knock
1: off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and again, I probably cherry pick things. I'm a little bit better at that. I know I can accomplish. Um, if I, you know, really thought about it, I should come up with like a bench press or something, you know, that maybe not as good at, but, um, yeah, I think people, if you can pick things that you're, you know, you're, it's relatively attainable. I think, I think that's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember a while ago, it was, it was probably like 10 years ago, but all I wanted to do was be able to still run a sub six mile. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when you, if you haven't ran before and you don't like to run and then you go after and try and crush out a five fifty, it's like, I know it's, you know, for runners who are, you know, killing it it's not that much. The marathoners do that on a per mile basis, but that is a freaking haul. And after I did that, I was like, all right, about to, I, I check that off for the day of getting in. So sometimes find one of them that's not in your repertoire and then just add that into the 51st birthday.
1: Yep. Yep. I actually have under a 20 minute 5k that um, I was thinking about trying. Okay. I'm going to try a 5k this coming month and just, I, I don't know where I'm at, but um, I, yeah. I was thinking about, maybe I'll shoot for an under 20. It's been a while, but um, mm-hmm. so
0: yeah, it's well. It's fun to kind of explore the different things. That's why we get strong, right? Is to carry over. You know, one of my favorite people to talk to I just had on the podcast was John Parker. He's just the one of the most recent uh, beast tamers.
1: He's strong. And,
0: uh, yeah, and yeah. so kind of super light, a pretty light guy around 170 pounds. But you know, you see him, he's doing trail runs. He's rock climbing as well, and now he's doing stone lifting. It's like, yeah, just kind of measure it in different ways.
1: Yeah. Yep. There. So. Yeah. The, um, the group that I trained with, we were going to do the army came up with a new PT test. Um, and we were playing around with that and we wanted one day just do an army PT test, see if we can, uh, uh, where we're at on their point schedule. So that, that'd be another fun challenge, I think for people to try. Nice. Nice. Good. Okay. Uh,
0: I want to segue a little bit on this because there's another topic that we were talking about a little bit before that I thought was really interesting. And this is, uh, you know, kind of that term of toxic masculinity that came out and the APA, the um, American Psychological Association came out with like some specific research about this word. And I know you put a lot of time and effort into exactly what this means. And I'd be curious to kind of get your just, kind of thoughts about what this whole whole thing was. I know it's a crazy segue on this, but I think it's important to go over.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and just that term, toxic masculinity sounds, um, you know, it just creates emotions. And so I, th- I think, you know, I-, I think you and I can probably have a really good discussion about this, um, you know, I'll kind of segue it, you know, with where I'm at, and this is where people might disagree, but, you know, I think we're born... Most people are born with uh, a sexual identity um, you know there are some uh, the minority of people might have an x x y genetic compo- um, composition mm-hmm. or other things, but most people are born male or female so a lot of times when we do research, we ask um, what was your sex I- sexual identification at birth, and then you know what people identify as now that's a whole different thing so mm-hmm. like i you know that's that's none of my business that's uh, you know but I'm talking about sort of where people are born and that sort of thing and and masculinity from that perspective. Um, This wasn't in the APA statement, but this is uh, something that came out from a division of APA afterwards to kind of clarify it. And it it said, I'm gonna just quote this, needs met through violence, dominance over others, extreme restriction of emotions are at risk for poor physical, psychological, and social outcomes. Um, Yeah, that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But is that what masculinity is, and like you know those type of things like that? That's a question. Like you know, is masculinity violence? Um, you know, I, I think you know with any trait, we have uh, something that's you know at a good level and something that's you know extreme. And like I'll give the term you know that that I'm you know much more familiar with is anxiety. You know, if mm-hmm. we have no anxiety at all. Um, we're in big trouble. Like we're, you know, going to take all these risks. We're never going to have any fear. Um, And, you know, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. If we have too much, we're going to be so restricted. We don't get out of the house and, you know, have such a restricted life. So I think with any of these traits, there is, you know, a a healthy level where we can live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you throw out terms like masculinity is violence, dominance, extreme restriction of emotions. That's probably the one extreme of masculinity. I think we could probably talk about this as, you know, achievement, stoicism, um, adventure, um, you know, those type of things. If we frame it that way, you know, that's not necessarily such a bad thing. Like, and and I, I think, you know, Up to a an extreme, it would become a bad thing. But you know, I think that's that's where maybe I'll start the discussion. Is that everything is good and bad at different levels? But
0: right, well, and it seems like a lot of times the examples that we see out of these things is always on the extreme sides of stuff. You know, where you know I've I've done a lot of study and a lot of work uh, with people and just different energies. You know, and where we all it's it the terms we use for it is there's masculine energy and there's feminine energy, you know, the masculine might be more of the kind of get shit done stuff. It's kind of like, put your head down, like, you know, chalk things down, kind of checklist. It's the logical side of, you know, things like that. Like there's a problem, you just go solve it right away. And then people say it's the feminine energy where it's more of the creative side of it, where you're thinking through things. So it's a lot more things going on at once. I think we all have those energies within us, like, and it's just the terms that are put on those says masculine energy versus feminine energy. So it's just that term, all of a sudden, now it's like, okay, open up that term. And now it goes into this. And now we know the extreme stuff of, of toxic masculinity, and it goes into that negative realm right there. When in reality, it's this is stuff that we all portray, whether you're a man, woman, whatever you identify with, it's like you have all of the, you have both of these energies within you at different marks. And some yep. you might be, you might skew a little bit more towards one side versus another, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's toxic
1: on that. Exactly. Yep. And, and just like we talk about with training, if I am only a deadlifter, I'm not building much flexibility in my system. Like my, you know, my respiratory health, my endurance, those are all probably lacking a little bit because I'm only focusing on deadlifting. It's good to have flexibility for health. And I think the same thing goes with psychological health. Like if I have high levels of achievement, I, you know, can balance that with, you know, what are, you know, traits like, you know, being empathetic or, you know, other things like, I, I think this idea, like even stoicism, Like, there's a lot of benefit to being stoic. But if I don't have the flexibility, um, you know, like, I'll just give my dumb example. Like, I I grew up in a, a, you know, my dad and I can, you know, talk now about this. But, you know, at the time, like, I couldn't, like, he didn't like me crying. Like, I'd learned not to cry as a man. Man, Men don't cry. That's probably not the healthiest. And I remember teaching myself to cry. And this is the most ridiculous thing ever, but like I watched the movie Rocky by myself. And at the end of the movie where he's crying out for Adrian, like I would just like start to cry. Like now I can cry. Like I can feel comfortable crying. Like I, you know, go to graduation for my university. I see parents happy about their kids. I cry about that. I cry thinking about, um, you know, my daughter's success, all of these type of things. Like I feel comfortable with that. And it feels good to have this, um, flexibility, mm. you know, also though, like, like, I'm not going to just, uh, show my emotions just randomly, you know, and, you know, grocery store, like can be overly dramatic and like crying. Like, I think there's a, there's a, a place for that. So I have mm-hmm. the flexibility of being stoic and keeping things to myself and kind of processing things, um, internally when I need to, but I can also show a, a wide range of emotions on the other hand. And I, I think that's that, that balance,
0: I think it, it's, you know, it's funny. I had a, I was a guest on a podcast with my friend, Tyler Wall earlier this week. And our whole topic was on doing shadow work and the dark side. You know, I'm a writer. I do a lot with writing and that's helped me a lot in the time. And it's kind of similar with, with the shadow and with the dark side. You know, if you've ever read anything from someone like Carl Jung or Jordan Peterson's brought this a lot up to date, it's like, uh, you know, a good man is not a, a weak man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control you know? So, and that's within all of us from there. It's like, we, I think naturally it's not, sometimes we don't feel that it's a custom to portray emotions out or to go into that asshole side that we can all be at the same way as well. And I'm, I love stoicism. I've, you know, studied a lot with the stoics, but then there's the other side. You talk to Stu McGill, who talks about his top level guys on the platform about to win a, Uh, you know, a world record. And he says they're ready to commit murder in their mindset when they go up and step to grit that, like, there is no way they're not pulling that fucking bar off the ground. And Mm -hmm. it's like, and you could be the most stoic person outside of that, but there's that balance sometimes of extremes that goes into it. And it seems like, I mean, this is an emotionally charged topic, I think in, um, you know, a lot of society, because there is a lot of toxic shit that's out there and it should not be and there needs to be addressed. However, it's not just something that is within everybody that could just label everybody of masculine energy or masculinity is a toxic thing. It's like, no, it's a it's a minority of something probably far, far bigger than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think and and like our training, like hitting the heavy bag. I'm not training to, you know, go into fighting or anything like that. But if I need the strength, like my dog um, has bad hip, like, and there's been times, you know, she's 50 pounds. Like if on a walk, she can't walk anymore. I can pick her up and carry her home. Like I've got the strength to do that. I'm not training to, you know, go murder somebody, but I have strength reserves where I can handle myself. If there's an emergency Mm -hmm. type of thing. And I'm, you know, I'm not training for the apocalypse or, you know, some sort of, you know, a uh, great type of thing but i think restricting ourselves to you know never look at that side of ourselves or look at you know um you know like like you said to to kind of even you know like i was before my deadlift i was kind of swearing my head a few times you know i don't say it out maybe if i'm alone i'll kind of like you know you mrf bar and like i'll say that. those type of things but you know it's i have to have that flexibility. And I know when to shut it off and when to turn it on. If I never mm-hmm. practice it and just restrict my emotions, I think that's, that's another problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you only deal in one side of the energy, if you're only on the masculine side, then eventually the other energies—it's going to, if anything that gets repressed, I mean, from sight from psychology right there, it comes back with a vengeance, you know, from there. And you know you mentioned Rocky from there. I can't watch Band of Brothers without sobbing, just because it's like i I remember there the one episode in there, all of a sudden I'm just like crying by myself. I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. But I think we all have those those things that you know can pop up. And that's okay. Like you said, it's different environments that you do that. And those are you know emotional things that everybody should explore. And that's why I think really we could tie all of this whole conversation into that balance. This is psychological fission versus fusion right here. Right. It's like there's yep. that High intensity stuff that you do. And then there's the other strength stuff where you pamper yourself a little bit more. Yep. Yep. It. So it all comes back to balance.
1: Yep. Yeah. I was feeling a little aggressive yesterday and, you know, like just grumpy and on edge. And like, but I was so productive at work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I didn't. Harm anything socially? I didn't, you know, ruin any relationships. I didn't do anything. I harnessed it and used that energy to, to get a lot of work done, and you know that type of thing. Um, you know, again, it's like you said, it's it's at that balance and and harnessing those type of things.
0: Yeah, it's it is. It's interesting. I mean, you know, being a, a solo business guy in here, and you're doing everything. You have you have to have both energies of going on in different things, and it's like, I know. You, I've been in that spot. I could turn it off and just get shit done type stuff. But then the Mm -hmm. other side, the creative side, okay, I need to do this. And you want to do, it's like finding those things and like, and we're talking about balance. Like it's the easiest thing in the world. This is probably one of the hardest things you can do on a day by day basis, especially with your mind to do it. But the more you practice it and the more you find it and not repress it down, then -hmm. these things are going to, are going to pop up and they're going to help you out. Yep.
1: Yep.
0: Craig, man, this time just always flies by with you, man. This is great. So I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, yeah, we'll have to be doing this again soon.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I feel like we could go on for a few more hours. So no, next I'm, time, whenever you're ready, I'm, I'm ready. So
0: I'm sure we will. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Dan John too. I just had a conversation with him yesterday and he said the same exact thing. Everything works <laughs> for a period of time. Then you got to change it. So that's um, awesome. Great. So if people want to, I know you have a few articles out there and you're always doing some stuff. If people want to check more of the stuff that you got, um, out there, where can they, where can they go?
1: Uh, a lot of my stuff's on breaking muscle and strong Mm -hmm. first. Um, you know, they can Google me and find me if you have specific questions. I love talking to people. So email me. I'm always comfortable with that too. So awesome.
0: Good. All right, Craig till next time.
1: Thank you, brother. All right. Listeners. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for connecting. If you want to follow Craig and check out more of his articles, you know where to do so and I'll see you on the next one. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.